Hi everyone, you are listening to LD Spotlight, a podcast about learning and development brought to you by Nifty Learning. I'm your host, Liz Stefan, and together we're here to learn about LD. Hi everybody, very happy to have Andre Postolake with us today. He is a founder at Seriously, a leadership and soft skills consultant focused on the IT industry. But before that, he worked for 15 years in IT and technical and managerial positions. He's author of one of my favorite books about leadership. It's called Fun and Fearless Leadership. And he's also an amateur camper, more recently a YouTuber and an airplane pilot. Welcome, Andre. Thank you so much for having me and um, hello, everyone. You are one of the best people to talk to about leadership. I know that you've uh, consulted with quite a number of companies specifically on this topic. This is also the reason why I was excited to speak to you about leadership. And I'm very, very happy that we're doing a series together on that. I would like to kick us off with just the outline of what leadership is. And I know that you have a fresh take on the topic. So let's just dive into it. What is leadership? I think leadership is a fundamental human behavior. It's something that's pretty much part of how people act. It's not something that we invented recently. It's not something that MBAs came up with. It's something we see throughout history, throughout cultures. It's a constant component of what it means to be a person. And I think the uh, fundamental necessity for leadership is just to organize ourselves, to do things. When you have more than two or three people together trying to do something, it gets really complicated because that's how people are. And the things we're trying to do are sometimes also complicated. So leadership is, I think, a way to do things together. That's the core purpose of leadership. What sounds a bit unusual to me is maybe it's because of the way leadership is framed right now in business context. When people think about leadership, they actually veer towards the individual that person who is, you know, the rock star and does all the good work and gets promoted frequently. Whereas you are talking about people coming together to reach goals together. So why is business glorifying the individual as a leader and not treating this as a collaborative skill? Definitely the individual is very important. In a way, everything starts from the individual. In any group of people, at some point, someone has to make the decision inside their own mind to do something, to say something, to fix something, to stand up for something, to initiate something. So there's a strong individual component as well, of course. I think it's easier to focus on that because it's, in a way, probably easier to understand and it's easier to sort of extract lessons. That person did that. So if I do that, I'll also have the same kind of results. And it's also aligned more with job roles. So, you know, you have the CEO of the company, that's one person. So one person does this and says this and implements that. I don't think that's wrong, but I do think that leadership makes sense in groups of people. Leadership has a, a purpose when we work with other people. And I think it's a very organic thing in a way. So even if I'm, let's say, the leader of a group, formally and even informally i'm the most experienced i i have the managerial job people look up to me even then my leadership works together with the other people and their leadership so it kind of resonates of each other and feeds of each other and at the end of the day it becomes a collective thing in a way could i say that having the skills of a leader is more or less the same thing as having the skills of a good team worker 
I wouldn't say it's exactly the same thing, but I think it's a huge overlap. To be a good leader, I think you need to be a good team member. You also need to allow yourself to be led. Let's say you're the team leader for a team. You are the leader, quote unquote, of that team. But in some situations, some of your team members will take leadership on certain issues. And in those moments, even though you are the formal leader, sometimes it's really valuable to know how to step back switch your mindset and say, okay, now let this person lead us. And I won't try to outstage them or take control from them. Let them have the steering wheel and I'll go back into the backseat for a little bit and see how that is. And I think the best leaders definitely need to know that they don't need to lead everything. It's not like wherever you go, whatever you do, you need to be the one that has the best idea or that decides what to do. Sometimes the best thing you can do is step back and let other people lead. Is this called situational leadership? Probably. I think there's many ways to call it. Situation leadership is a framework of leadership, but in a more general sense, yeah, you adapt to the situation. And it's also a way to grow the people around you because as a leader, you depend a lot on the people you work with. And the better they are and the more successful they are, the better you are and the more successful you are. And the way to grow them is to let them experiment, to let them try things, to let them get out of their comfort zone, to let them lead. Sometimes some leaders with the best of intentions are so involved in any conversation, involved in any decision, sort of handling everything that the people in their teams just don't have enough room to grow. What is not leadership? If you could provide some examples, maybe examples of ways leadership is understood wrong or is applied in a wrong way. But also, I guess the thing you're saying right now is when people confuse leadership for management then you could have this situation where the person leading the team is actually becoming just an overbearing mother. What I'm going to say is based on my opinion, my experience, the way I see things, I just want to put that out there because leadership is not math, right? In math, we can agree that two plus two equals four, and that's the only one right answer. When you talk about things such as leadership, different people can have different opinions and not just one opinion, maybe the right opinion or in different situations, different styles of leadership may be better suited. That having been said, I think there's a strong connection between leadership and management. In a way, I see management as a more pragmatic part of leadership. So the ability to get things done, the ability to organize things, the ability to have a plan, try to stick to that plan, to prioritize issues, to do things, to follow up. I think those are all good things. And I think leaders should have those kind of skills and that kind of mentality because leaders are not, you know, these kind of abstract gurus that just say inspirational things. They also have to do some things. So I think management and leadership actually go very well hand in hand. And I think every manager should be a little bit of a leader and every leader should be a little bit of a manager. If I understand your question correctly, when people say that we confuse leadership with management, what they mean is that people that get very procedural and very formal and very bureaucratic about things and rely too much on their formal authority. I'm the boss, so I make the decision. And because I just have that power, then you just have to do what I say, even though you don't agree with it, or you have another idea, or we haven't discussed it, but I make the decision, so just do it. I definitely think that's not okay. And I don't think that's good leadership. I don't think that's leadership at all. I think that's bad. You can get away doing that a little bit once in a while, maybe in a crisis situation. But if that's how you behave, usually it's not going to work out well for you. What are other situations or examples where leadership is misunderstood or misapplied? There's two extremes that I think are not the right kind of leadership. One extreme we just discussed, and it's being very in charge, very micromanaging, very ego-driven, very formal, 
power structure driven. There's also the other extreme. When we get to be too hippie about it, we think, okay, all we need is love. I'll just appreciate everyone and congratulate everyone and encourage everyone and just say nice things and say inspirational things and just sort of applaud everything and things will be great. I also think that kind of leadership, while it's kind-hearted and I can appreciate it on a human level, I don't think it's effective because leadership comes with getting things done together with others. But you have to get something done. So you have to be in the trenches. You have to deal with the difficult things. You have to make difficult decisions. You have to actually execute on things as well. So I think there's a sweet spot in the middle where we don't get too micromanagement, but we also don't get too guru-like and we just say nice things. Having that perspective to understand that there's a bigger journey here, there's a bigger goal. I also have to grow my people. I also have to take care of these bigger things. Is it accurate to say that a good leader strikes a very good balance between being just inspirational enough to have a followership, but also pragmatic enough to move things along and see progress? I definitely think so. There's another thing to say here. It depends on the size of the organization you're a leader for as well. If you're a team leader and working with five, six, seven, ten people on a day-to-day basis, then you're spending a lot of time with those people. You get the chance to see them work. They get the chance to see you work and you debate. And in this situation, you actually have to do a lot. But when, for example, you're the CEO for a large company, you won't get to interact personally with most people in your company. And those people will see from you just a tiny fraction of what you do or what you say. And then it becomes more of a mass communication way of doing things almost like a marketing effort in a way, a well-intended marketing effort, because you're thinking, okay, how can I convey the right message to thousands of people that have a limited attention span? So they will only watch a little bit of what I say, and they won't get a chance to ask questions. There will be no follow-up. But at the same time, how do I send the right message? And then I think it becomes an art in itself, how to lead people that you don't interact directly with. Okay. I think it's a complicated thing. That's what I'm trying to say. But basically, I agree with you. I think the best leaders are both idealists in a way, but pragmatic at the same time. I want to go into company culture next. More recently, let's say in the past five, 10 years, we started talking about psychological safety at work, building a company culture that is sustainable, not just seeing people as resources, but rather contributors who come with their full self to work and they need to feel integrated and feel like their work has meaning. What's the relationship between leadership and company culture? The most important thing influencing company culture is leadership. Let me give you a A very specific day-to-day example of the kinds of things I see as company culture, because sometimes these terms are very mystified a little bit. So let's demystify it. Let's say you're working somewhere in a team, doing whatever, doesn't matter. And you have an idea about trying something in a new way. That idea involves three days trying to do something in a new way. And there's a 50-50 chance it will work. It might work. And then, awesome, you've improved something where it might not work. And then in a sense of the word, which I don't agree with, you've wasted three days. So as you're thinking about that, okay, should I do this or should I not do this? In the back of your mind, explicitly or not, you're going to imagine the reaction of your colleagues and of your managers and of your leaders if that doesn't work out. So if in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, 
that will be seen as a failure on my side and maybe I will be reprimanded because I wasted my time and people will make jokes about what I did. That's company culture. The opposite would, of course, be thinking that even if it doesn't work out, maybe I'll be appreciated because I tried something new, I tried to improve things, I tried to innovate something. And that's another example of company culture. So these very day-to-day things influence everyone's behavior many times every day in any company, in any team, without being written anywhere. Obviously, the biggest influence on that is leadership. Because at some point in the past, to follow this example, somebody tried something new for the first time in that team. And maybe it didn't work out, right? And when they mentioned that at the next team meeting, the leader of that team had a reaction. And if that reaction was, ha, 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 you wasted your time, that had no chance, there was a silly idea, you should not have tried that, or even more subtle, a disappointed face kind of thing, that sends a message to that person and to everyone else that, okay, in this team, that kind of thing is not encouraged. And that's how company culture gets built, through reactions of people to situations. People look and see how do other people react. Okay, so that's how things are done around here. And clearly, the reaction of leaders is the most influential. It's absolutely critical. If you want to change a company in any way, you need to work primarily, I think, through the leaders of that company. Because everybody looks at them to know how to react to these problematic situations. The important moments, because uh, when decisions are obvious and it's obvious what's the best answer and everyone is happy and things are going okay, it matters far less. But when there's a decision that matters, maybe there's no perfect answer. Maybe we have to have a sacrifice. Maybe we have to decide between two bad options or we have to do something risky. How leaders behave in those situations is really, really important. And another really important situation that kills all company cultures is when leaders behave differently from the official company values. So maybe you have written on the walls everywhere that, you know, we value innovation. And then when somebody actually tries to innovate something, they get reprimanded for it or they get laughed at. And then the people know that. They're not going to say it most of the time, but they know that what's written on the wall is fake. And when people get this feeling that we have a fake culture, things collapse at that moment. (laughs) And it's it's a bad place to be in. It uh, gets stuck to the collective conscience, right? Everybody remembers that something's iffy about this workplace. Every individual that goes to work must make a decision not to be selfish. (laughs) What do I mean by that? Help colleagues, take from their own time. Everyone's busy, but take from my time to help other people, support crazy ideas, support people when they fail, try new risky things. And these kinds of decisions, let's be selfless, let's invest in the future. People do these things when they believe that it's worth doing. When they believe that, generally speaking, the team and the company actually wants to do something and they actually more or less believe in what they're saying. But when people get the idea, okay, so this is a fake culture and we have these statements, but nobody follows them, they retreat into this, okay, so I'm just going to take care of myself. I'm going to do my job. I'm just going to mind my own business. I don't care what everyone else is doing. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to go home. I'm not investing in this anymore. So... Leadership is selfless then? Definitely. There's a selfish part to it as well, I think. It's fine to want to achieve things unless you get blinded by that ambition. I think it's fine to have some kind of selfish motivation. A big part of it is for the good of everyone as well. And it's definitely not selfish in the sense of that corporate politics type of thing. I don't think that that matches very well with leadership in any way. Given all the insight that you've already brought to the conversation, why did you write Fun Fearless Leadership? What are you expecting your readers to take out of that book? I don't have a detailed plan about it. So (laughs) almost everything I ever did in my life, I did not have, okay, this is the return on investment I'm expecting. It's just when I'm working on the things that I love doing, 
but I'm 10 times more productive than I'm working on the things I don't like to do. There's a huge difference. And when I find something that I like to do, makes me happy, and at the same time, it's sort of pragmatic, so it's something that's aligned to my profession, that's the ideal situation. So I think that was something like this book. I woke up one day and I said, I like writing articles and things like that. It's easy to me. Well, not easy, but it's one of the things that comes easy comparatively to other things. I have a lot of things to say about this. What about writing a book? Let's write. It was as simple as that. It was a very enjoyable process and I loved it. Clearly, I'm also thinking, okay, from the point of view of the reader, you're designing a product. How will the user use it? But mostly it was a personal thing. I thought I want to say something. I did not care if I have one reader or 10 readers or a thousand readers. I really did not think about those things. And from the people that read it that I spoke with, I got a lot of nice feedback, which always (laughs) makes me very emotional. (laughs) The theme that I like most from what people tell me is that it feels like a personal book that just says some things and doesn't try to convince you that this is the only way or the best way to do things. It's just a person saying something derived from them experience, and uh, that's what it is. And I hope it's useful to other people as well, or at least interesting. So you're putting it out there in hopes that it might help someone, but it's more you needed to express those things, right? Yeah. This book is not like a business plan. I didn't have KPIs. It's just more like an artistic thing. I understand where you're coming from. When you're in flow, then you just feel like you have to put your message out there. And if this was the format for you, then it makes total sense why. Especially, I like that you said fun and fearless, because maybe fearless is a term that people associate with leadership, but I don't remember people talking about leadership as being fun. I mean, a lot of people see leadership as this very serious thing or very business oriented or the kind of activity or skill or situation you need to approach in a serious manner. And when you say both fun and fearless, which are things that we don't necessarily associate with work, that means the way you see leadership is framed very personally, right? You try to express to people what they could feel like. I really believe in that. My goal would be to help people feel free. What do I mean by that? I I think the biggest thing that bothers me or the thing that I would love to change most and I try to change most wherever I go and I work and I, I have some kind of an influence is that a lot of people don't feel free in their work, in their jobs. And I don't mean that in a dramatic way. Obviously, they're free. You know, it's, it's a free country. They can quit the job. They're not prisoners. But I mean, mentally, people sometimes take themselves too seriously. I think that's a mistake. I think we can do serious things without taking ourselves too seriously. So the fact that we care about our job and we're trying to do a good job and we care about our clients and so on doesn't mean that we should all be very serious people that never smile and never, you know, we're humans. Let's have some fun. And sometimes people don't feel free because they just worry so much about what is that person going to say? What is the management going to say? What are my colleagues going to say? What are people going to say? What's going to happen if I do this? What's going to happen if I do that? And they get stuck in this web of constraints, some of them real, some of them imagined. And whenever I see people that just have that sense that, okay, I'm here, I have a job to do, but let's just try to play a little bit. Let's try to experiment. Let's approach it in a different way. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I think that's an awesome thing. I smile every time I see that. (laughs) And I want to see more of it. For sure, I would love to see that. I actually want us to explore this particular part of leadership. Specifically, I want to talk about failure, how failure is seen, and especially in the workplace. 
and especially in large companies, because it would be wonderful for leaders and well for people in general to feel comfortable in taking risks or in exposing a more personal side of themselves or just being comfortable with potentially making a mistake. But you actually don't see that, especially in large companies, that's frowned upon. You cannot take the risk of being comfortable with certain liberties because you might ultimately lose your job or lose credibility. But we can explore that in uh, in another episode. I really want to dedicate some time to talk about psychological safety and failure. I would like us to wrap up today with maybe advice or ways in which companies can improve leadership among employees. Clearly, it starts with the top leaders. So CEO, management team, delivery unit, location leader, whoever is the top formal leader in that area, it matters. Obviously, we discussed that formal leadership is not everything, but it has its purpose. It has to start from those people, both in what they say, but more importantly, through their example. So I think that's key. Top management, top leadership needs to actually demonstrate that they themselves behave in those ways in which they encourage their employees to behave. So the personal example of top management is the first thing, the most important thing. Without it, you cannot do anything for real in this dimension of leadership. Then you have to communicate very well. And this involves training or bringing the topic up at company meetings or a multitude of things. But you have to communicate to your employees that we're trying to behave in a certain way, we're trying to be a certain kind of company, trying to have this culture or we have these values and all these things. Communicate to everyone, show your personal example as top leadership, top management. And then you have to close the gap. And this is where most companies fail because let's say the top management actually believes in something and they agree in something and you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people, it's relatively easy to align relatively. They communicate it well, they do some training, but then it doesn't actually happen because in big companies, it's really, really difficult. You have many layers, you have many people and some things get lost in the way. So the most important thing is to find simple ways to actually ensure that those behaviors happen. And here I like to use that term of keystone habit, organizational habits. So when you talk about leadership, you're the CEO of a company and say, I want to change my company culture. This is such a complicated thing. There's so many moving pieces and so many things influencing each other. Where do you start from? What do you do? Usually the right answer is pick one thing, one very simple thing. Something like we always do the best for our client. And it sounds generic, but drive on that and find so many examples, popularize those examples and insist on this everywhere you go. And every time you see something that's about this, make a point about it and just drive on this thing, the best for our client. Focus only on this thing for six months, for a year until everybody's heard it. Everybody knows what you mean and it gets to become a habit. It could be anything, quality. We are the best engineers in the world. We have the best technical solutions. To some degree, you can almost anything as long as it's aligned with what you're trying to do and then you drive on that relentlessly on that one thing until everybody understands what that is and until everybody does it and i think that's the way to change culture in big companies just focus on one thing it's definitely a long-term gig it cannot happen overnight right there's some things that can happen overnight. Sometimes you need to put a shock in the system. And you can do that through some major reorganization in the company, changing the structure of the company, changing maybe some people in important positions, things like that sometimes send a very strong message very quickly. But you have to follow up on that. So if you come and say, okay, we've changed the way we do things and uh, 
I'm serious about it. You know, if you organize the company, people are going to be okay, okay. But then you have to follow up on that. And if you don't follow up, people are going to be okay. So that wasn't for real. Largely speaking, it's about persistence and consistency. Leadership is not something you address once a year. The CEO's speech or you put in the newsletter, it's something that has to happen daily in specific situations with specific people about specific things. So it starts at the top. It requires effective communication and it's good enough to pick one topic and be relentless about it until it's fully understood and the habit is formed, right? And then you can do another one and another one and so on. There's a theory behind it, this habit theory. For example, if you push on quality and people take quality very seriously, they get very engaged about it and suddenly people speak up about quality, they have initiatives about quality and they try to innovate in the areas of quality, all these good behaviors, this initiative, this engagement, this innovation is going to spill over into other things, not just quality. Because if you somehow help people become engaged and care about quality, they will also become engaged about other things without you telling them. And that's a good kind of epidemic in a way, <laughs> an, an epidemic of good behaviors and good leadership. That's a very good way to set things in context, given uh, the latest happenings. It's such a pleasure to speak to you always. I find your input very relatable in a way. And that's probably one of the things I like the most when I speak to you. I, I don't feel like I'm being taught something. I feel like we're just having a conversation. Why don't we talk about failure and psychological safety next? We're looking forward to the next episode. Thank you, Andre, for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And really looking forward to the next uh, section. The topic uh, sounds fascinating. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been another episode of LND Spotlight. If you'd like to get in touch and join the conversation, write to me at liz at niftylearning.io or connect with me on LinkedIn at Liz Stefan. Have a productive week, everyone.